God, you have indeed been faithful, and you have been good to us. Your mercy endures forever, and your grace covers us even in our darkest times. We thank you, God, that you are present with us in every step of our journey, and we will continue to sing your praises. We will continue to bless your name. Because despite everything, you remain worthy. Hallelujah. You remain worthy. You are still faithful. You are still righteous. You are still consistent. You can still be trusted. You remain faithful. And we bless you and we give you praise, God, even as we gather today. Even as the word is shared, Father, I pray that that resonates in our hearts, that despite anything we're going through, despite our own personal wilderness, even in the wilderness, you remain faithful. You have not forgotten about us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are with us always, even to the ends of the earth, because you are faithful. You are a faithful God. We bless your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Can we give God praise for the worship team this morning? Say, so if they sing one more round, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. It is such an honor to be with you again, new community. Hi, good morning. <laughs> Uh, so good. Um, I have to tell this story before I get started. Um, Emily sent the invitation to preach. I was so honored, so humbled, and so excited to share. And when she talked about the series formed in the wilderness, I was like, yeah, well. <laughs> like, that's not a hard call, is it? Because <laughs> we've all been uh, experiencing our personal wilderness, you know, uh, partial, you know, wilderness experience during the uh, closure from the pandemic. Thank God we are ending up on the other side of that. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and, you know, different things that we were going through, my own wilderness journey uh, when, as I went through uh, my cancer battle. And so I told her I would get back to her and, you know, I, I, I you know, talked about it and I'd pray about it. I'll marinate on it, chew on a little bit, see what the Lord wants to say. And she sent the, e the check-in email stating all the speakers and what they would be speaking on. And I was like, oh, let me reply to her because I know exactly what I'm going to preach on, right? I'm going to preach on Exodus 3. So before I get to send the reply, I see Minister Tim White's email reply, I'm preaching on Exodus 3. Wow. 
And I said, ah, gotta be quicker than that, ah. So, and he did a phenomenal job, listen. I've been watching this entire series. I've been in tears the whole time. I have laughed, I have cried, I have jumped, I have shouted. It has made me think, it has made me introspective, and it has made me excited and hopeful because the thread remains that God is faithful, right? He's still faithful. So, uh, just as I wanted to just sum up uh, some of the things that I got from the series, uh, from Emily's message. Uh, one of the things she said that resonated to me is, is that as much as we would prefer to avoid it, the wilderness is where God is. And it is where our need and desire to control outcomes is challenged. Then Anthony said God's presence is with us in the wilderness individually and personally, despite how isolating the journey may feel. And how God's care for us relieves us of the need to control outcomes. And then Minister Tim said, uh, he challenged us with how rather than directing our, cons our concerns up to God, we start looking internally to our own resources and abilities. The foundation from which we operate due to our need to control outcomes. Are you seeing a theme here? Matt said that the wilderness brings humility and tenderheartedness and that the softening that comes when we give up dominator culture, which is the need to control outcomes. And then Shana said how we, like Israel, due to our inability to control outcomes, struggle with the place that is somewhere between the now and the not yet, and how our wilderness journey is about our release from a bondage mentality into the joyous freedom that God has for us. So one of the things, as you saw my little tagline for each one, is our need to control outcomes. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with it. I know most of us struggle with it. You know, we, we would love to say, you know, okay, I, I've got this handled. I can do this. It's fine. You know, we would love, you know, for the Lord to not only, you know, be the, you know, lamp to our feet and light to our path that the Word says, but we want to see the end of the journey. We want to see where we end up. We want to know every single step along the way before we make the journey. We want to know who we're going to encounter on the road on that journey. We want to go who's going to be, know who's going to be at every rest stop along the journey. We want to know all things, and we want to be able to control the outcomes. But we realize in our wilderness experience that it's not about us controlling outcomes. It's about us releasing control to the Lord because he knows our outcome. Our outcome has been predetermined by his word and by his will. And our wilderness journey helps us to learn to trust that. Amen? So today I'm going to um, preach from Numbers 13 and 14. Um, in this form, in the wilderness series, and today I'm going to talk about how the wilderness journey is the revealer of hearts. Our wilderness journey is the revealer of hearts. And we're going to start with uh, Numbers 13, verses 1 through 3. And it says, the Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. Now I underlined it that all tribal leaders of Israel, because we're going to come back to that. 
Um, for my bullet points, I inserted a couple of Selah moments as we go along this journey in the message. And uh, the Bible says that Moses selected a leader from each tribe of Israel, most notably Joshua and Caleb, but there were others as well. I will, for the sake of time, spare you the genealogy at this point, but I would really encourage you to read it. It's, it's very interesting. Um, so he selected a leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And here's our first Selah moment. God was not only clear in his instruction, but he was also clear about his intention. God was not only clear about his instruction, he was also clear about his intention. Remember the reason that they are here in the first place is because the Lord told Moses, I've heard the cry of my people, their cry has come up before me, I'm going to send you as a deliverer. You're going to deliver my people Israel and you're going to lead them into a land I have promised them. So this entire journey, and if you read all through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, the whole time God keeps reminding them, I'm going to lead you into a land I have promised you. I'm going to lead you into a land where I've promised you. This land is flowing with milk and honey. This land has abundance. You're going to grow there. You're going to multiply. You're going to flourish. This land that I'm taking you into will look nothing like the bondage that I delivered you from. I am leading you not only into a freedom from the Egyptian bondage, but I am leading you into a prosperous place that will make you forget the pain of the bondage you left. So God has been clear this entire time. And every time something comes up, and we know Israel is a bit of a difficult child, right? <laughs> you know, every time something comes up, God reminds them, no, what did I say? I know what this looks like, but I said I'm leading you into this promised land. Yes, I know that they've threatened you, but I'm leading you into this promised land. Yes, I know you're at this body of water that you think you can't cross, but I'm still leading you into this promised land. I know those waters are bitter. I'm going to make them sweet for you because I'm leading you into this promised land. So God has been clear this entire time about not only his instructions, but also his intentions. It never changed. Let's look at verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like camps? Go to verse 25. After the men exploring the land... For 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Next slide. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So the land was exactly the way that God said it was. It had exactly what God said it had. But there were also challenges. The people 
were listening to the leaders who had been sent ahead as spies to go and bring back a report from the land, but to also bring back the evidence of what God had promised would be there. I find it very interesting that along with the report of the evidence of what would be there, that they had the time, fortitude, and mental clarity to follow God's instructions to the letter by, by way of Moses. Spy out the land, look and see what they have, see who's there, watch how they operate, watch their habits, learn them, do recon, and bring that report back to me. And they did exactly that. They knew the movement, they knew where they were, who lived where, all their habits, they knew about the infrastructure and all the ways that the land ran. And then they said, but this is our challenge. Here's our Selah moment number two. There is a huge difference between voicing your concerns and projecting your fears. Keeping in mind, they said, hey, everything that God said is right there. Here are the challenges. You start to see later on how they talked about in verse 3, 33. Go to the next slide. I'm going to jump ahead here. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So I have a question. I know you have the same question because you are laughing already. So you have a group of people, right? Follow me. You have a group of people that went into the land. They went in undetected, completely unnoticed. They were able to hide themselves from the people in the land to learn all of their habits for 40 days. 40 days, they're over there spying out the land. They're gathering fruit. They're gathering grapes. They're gathering crops, taking a supply bag to prove that the land is exactly what God said. They went in and came out completely undetected. Some of the fruit was so big, it took two men to carry them, right? So, you know, that's, that's pretty huge. It takes a lot of stealth and a lot of cunning and tenacity to carry out something that big from a land full of inhabitants undetected. They got out without being seen. How did they know what they were thinking about them? They had never had a conversation. They had no interaction with them whatsoever. But a lot of times, even we have a tendency to project our fears based on our self-image upon other people when circumstances come to challenge us. They are already started having a defeatist mentality before they even went up against the people. And they were not only walking in a defeatist mentality, they were evangelizing this defeatist mentality among the congregation. Even though there had never been a conversation, even though the enemy had never said anything to them, because of how they felt when they saw them, they projected that onto a person they'd never spoken to. And it's amazing to me because literally you have the conversation with Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Aaron and the rest of the congregation, they're literally standing there going, hey, we went to this land, these grapes are good, and the pomegranates, and I mean, there's so much we couldn't even carry it all out, you know. 
And essentially they said, well, you know, we went over into the land that God promised us, but I don't think we're going to be able to go over into the land that God promised us. We went and took the spoils from the land that God promised us, but I don't really think we're going to be able to take the spoils from the land that God promised us. Like, the enemy didn't defeat us or detect us while we were there, but I think they hate us. I think they think we're weak. I think they think we're inferior. I think they think they can kill us. And how many times do we do the exact same thing, though? Especially during our own wilderness journey, we have a tendency to minimize ourselves because what we're facing seems so great. We minimize ourselves, but then we also start projecting that onto other people as though they think we're smaller, they think we're less, because we're going through a particular thing. And that's not the case, as it wasn't the case with Israel. Remember, when God promised them that he was going to take them into the land that he showed them and told them how to go about it, told them how to go in, told them how to come out. This is the same group of people that saw the 10 plagues, the, the plagues come, against the Egyptians. These are the same people that saw Moses' rod turn into a serpent. These are the same, and swallow up the other uh, serpent rods that were inferior to the power of God. These are the same people who crossed the Red Sea and watched it part and walked across. And these are the same people who came upon poisonous bitter waters and God made them sweet and they were able to drink. And the same people that were fed manna, God literally created something out of nothing and fed and sustained them. And the same people that God sent quail when they were tired of manna. And the same people who were still wearing the same clothes they left Egypt with, they had not dry rotted, they hadn't fallen off, nobody fell sick, none of that. The same people, the shoes didn't wear out on this entire journey. These are the same people saying God can't do something. Even though he had done it all up until this point, these are the same people that are saying, yeah, I know, but I don't think he can do this. Like, I know that the Lord fed us something that didn't exist until we were hungry. But I don't think he can do this. I know God sent meat to us. We didn't even have to hunt for it, but I don't think God can do this. I watched the Red Sea part. I only walked across dry land looking at wall by water, but then I watched that same sea swallow up the enemy that was pursuing me. But I don't think that God can do this. Do you see where I'm going here? It's the same mentality. And a lot of times we find that same mentality when we're going through our own wilderness experience. I experienced it. I had to remind myself that number one, nothing I face is bigger than the God I serve. Then I also had to remind myself that the same way he brought me out of the last wilderness, he'd bring me out of this one as well. Because nothing, nothing is impossible for him. And I also had to remind myself not to let the emotion of what I was going through speak louder than the word of God to me. And here's the situation you have the Israelites in. They're once again up against a situation. And you read the, as you've gone through the series, you kind of see how their attitude developed even more during this wilderness experience. You know, these are people who were chosen by God. And you would think, you know, theoretically, that, you know, the people who are chosen by God would be the ones who were the most loyal, the most faithful, and that they would, you know, automatically just by default believe that God could do anything because they'd already seen him do the impossible so many times. 
But there was something embedded in Israel, which Emily talked about so well, that needed to be gutted out of them. And that's what this wilderness experience was about. The wilderness was not about trials just for trials sake. Remember the command that was given to Pharaoh? Moses said that the Lord said, let my people go so they could worship me in the wilderness. The wilderness was about the children of Israel meeting God in a way they've never met him. The wilderness was about God showing them that he could care for them, that he could provide for them, that he could protect them, because their only frame of reference at this point was Pharaoh and bondage and servitude and abuse and mistreatment. And a lot of times when we come from that kind of a background, we project those same feelings into new relationships. And this is what Israel was doing to the Lord. You know, the last person that said they were going to look out for me made me, you know, build buildings and didn't give me the materials I needed with them. I watched my people die of hunger. That's the last person that said they would take care of me. They didn't treat me well either. They promised me things that didn't deliver. That's the last person that said they'd take care of me. And I don't know you, God. I mean, I've seen what you've done, but I don't know you. And because I don't know you, I don't know if I can trust you. And that's what this wilderness experience was about. They'd seen God speak and move through the hand of Moses, but God wanted some one-on-one -on -one time. So he brings them into a place where it's literally just him and them. And how many times during our wilderness experience is God saying, this is not to cause you pain, although it hurts. I just want some one-on-one -on -one time with you. I need to see you here, and I need you to see me in here. I want to show you that I can be everything. But in order for you to see me be everything, you need to need me for everything. Let's keep going. So the leaders of the camp came back with a report. Hey, the stuff that God said was over there, but I don't think we can do this. I think they think we're weak. I think they think they can kill us. They're going to send our children and wives into servitude, and we got all the way out here, and here you have the cry again, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? You should have left us in Egypt. At least we were used to it. At least we were comfortable. Minister Tim talked about that, being comfortable in the wilderness. We were comfortable there. Yeah, it was wrong. It wasn't ideal. It didn't look like what you said, but I knew that area. I don't know this. And another path on our journey in the wilderness is God taking us into the unknown so that his presence can become familiar. When we go and journey into areas, and I know that, you know, the pandemic was a good example of this, where we become semi-isolated from the things that we depended on, and now we have to see God in a new way because some of our resources, whether they were financial resources, physical resources, social resources, have been pulled back. And a lot of us begin to see God in a different way during that closure. This is what was happening with Israel. God is saying, hey, I know you had this. I know you depended on that. Although it was wrong, it was your way of life. I want to show you a new way of life. 
So the leaders brought back the report, and it wasn't enough that they brought the things back. It wasn't enough that they had gotten in and out undetected. It wasn't enough that they're literally holding the evidence of what God said in their hands. It brings us to Selah moment number three. Dissension and influence are a dangerous combination. Here you have the spies now in Numbers 14 uh, turning their discourse away from Moses, Caleb, and the other spies toward the congregation to convince them that Moses had yet again led them into an impossible situation. This wasn't hard to do because Israel had already grumbled against God and Moses a number of times throughout this journey. So they were very easily provoked. These were tribal leaders, so if they had a level of influence, they had a level of influence over and credibility with the congregation. I have learned something in almost 30 years of ministry and six years of pastoring. I am very, very careful with how I handle my influence. And I will tell you why. Number one, God loves his people. I mean, he loves his people. It doesn't matter what kind of day they're having, what day of the week it is. God has a passionate, unending, unyielding, unrelenting love for his people. And I love that about God. And the reason to say I'm very careful is because I understand, as these leaders should have understood as well, that the way I paint God is the way people will see him. So there are times when I'm going through certain things, and thank God I have my circle and people that I can share with, I can be vulnerable and transparent with if I need to offload, if I just need to vent or any of those things, I can have those human moments and then we can pray together, laugh together, cry together, or whatever is needed, right? We all need that. I understand that if I start to take exception to something that God said or something that God did and I verbalize it, it could sow doubt into the person who trusts me, right? And this is what was happening among the congregation. These were tribal leaders. It wasn't just any old body. These were leaders. And the leaders, even though Moses was saying, hey, this is what God said, let's go. Caleb pops up and says, look, they're nothing. This is not the first thing we face. We can take this land, let's go. You had the leaders now turn to the congregation going, I know what Moses said, but y'all wasn't over there. Y'all didn't see what we saw. Like, I know Caleb's all gung-ho. He's always all gung-ho to do something, but, you know, we're not all Caleb, are we? Like, I know Joshua's in agreement, but Joshua always agrees with Moses. It's like he doesn't even have his own mind. That's the danger. <laughs> That's why I said I'm very, very careful with my influence. Because what happens is, if there was faith in the congregation, the leaders saying they couldn't do it, now so disbelief. So now you have the congregation rising up against Moses. Look at Numbers 14. Rising up against Moses, saying we're not going to do it, saying we can't do it. You brought us here to die. You should have left us in Egypt. You know what? We're going to raise up another leader. We don't like you anymore, Moses. Next. 
Like, we agree with what the tribal leaders are saying. I know God speaks to you face to face. I know God uses you. I've seen the miracles. But I want to raise up somebody that's going to agree with me and that's going to high-five my fear. That's what I want. I want a leader that's going to sympathize with my feelings and that's going to make decisions based on my feelings because I don't like feeling this way and you're asking too much of me. So this is the Lord's response because Moses and Aaron at this point just fell on their faces. And, and I'm going to tell you something. If you're in any leadership position, you know that your number one tool is prayer. Hallelujah. Sometimes you just have to fall on your face and wait for the Lord to respond. Thank God that Moses and Aaron say, you know what? This is not an argument for me to have. We're going to wait and see what the Lord says. If he had only done that with the rock and the water and the staff later on in the book. Uh, anyway, if he had stuck to that, he would have made the promised land. But that's another teaching for another time. So Moses and Aaron have fallen on their face. Joshua and Caleb have torn their clothes at this point. They're like, what? Moses and Aaron's like, I'm not fighting this fight. Joshua and Caleb said, neither am I. We're going to wait for the Lord to respond. And so the Lord does. He said, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I've done among them? Not one of these people will ever enter the land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore their ancestors. To get all the way here and miss out because of unbelief. And how many times during a certain experience, during a particular trial, during a particular situation in our life, has God said, hey, just hold on. You're going to see me move. Just wait. And we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to watch you move. And five minutes later, we're like, God, it's taking too long. I'm going to figure this out myself. I don't even know if he heard me. And we miss an opportunity to see God move in a unique way in that unique situation. Because the, the emotions rise up so heavy, we start to take the emotions as truth and forsake the truth of the word. Emotions are real, but they are also deceptive. Emotions are real, but they are also misleading. It is a fact that sadness comes and hurt comes and anger comes and all of these things, but they are emotions. They're feelings. They are not guides. They're feelings. They should not be teachers, right? And a lot of times we let our emotions dictate our movement and the Lord gets lost in the shuffle. And the Lord constantly says, what did I say? When have I lied? When have I failed you? When have I never not shown up? When? When have I ever told you I would do a thing and I did not do that thing? Conversely, how many times have we told the Lord we were going to do something and he's still waiting? He never moves. Why do we? He never changes. Why do we? He doesn't tap out on us. Why do we tap out on God in the tough times? So the Lord now, at this point, is not only angry, he's disappointed. Because this journey was about relationship. This journey was about them getting to know the God that did all of these things. 
They knew the stuff. They ate the miracles, but they didn't know the God behind them. And this is the reason he took them in the wilderness in the first place. Church, I admonish you, don't miss God in the tough moments. Don't miss God because the emotions are overwhelming. Don't miss God because you have tried everything you know to do and the situation hasn't changed. God has never been limited by our resources or our resourcefulness. He has always been bigger than we can imagine and able to do more than we can conceive. And here's a group of people who were hand-fed, literally hand fed the miracles of God, and they still didn't trust him. And the wilderness was about working trust in, not pulling it out. So at this point, the presence of the Lord appears to all the Israelites in the tabernacle, and the Lord's response is not only one of anger but of disappointment as he recalls the number of times he's shown up for them delivered them, fed them, covered them, protected them, led them, guided them right to the proverbial edge of the land he promised and declares that nobody from the congregation would enter the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. The rest would continue to wander in their wilderness until they died, with their children being the ones to obtain the promise. So now the Israelites are just wandering, waiting to die. Forsaking the promise completely. If you read later on, they change their minds. Like, oh, we're sorry, God. You're right. We don't want to die. We're going to go take the land. And the Lord's like, I'm not with you. I was with you before. Now I'm not with you. They go over to the land. The enemies whoop their heads real good, and they come back. So read it. It's really, really good. But yeah, they just decided, okay, Lord, not on your word, but, you know, we're going to try to do this on our own again. Using their resources and their resourcefulness to go over into a land and then got sent back. Couldn't even get there. But the point is that this wilderness experience and the things that we go through, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And it seems counterintuitive to be happy about trouble, right? But the reason that the Bible says count it all joy is because trouble is the opportunity for God to flex in our life. Trouble brings an opportunity for God's word to blow up in our life and show just how strong and faithful and wonderful he is. We know this, but God wants us to know this because he wants us to see him do what he said. And our challenge today is, do we really want to see what God said? That's number one. Of course, the answer is, of course we do. We want to see it. No, really. So do we really want to see what God said? But number two do we really trust that God will show up right here, right where we are? Do we really believe that God is as faithful as he says he is? And are we willing to let him prove himself? Are we willing to say, okay, Lord, here I am. 
at the intersection of what happened and why. But I believe you're going to show up right here. Do we really believe that? Worship team, you can come up. As I said before, this wilderness experience was about Israel developing a relationship with God and about God showing himself faithful to them. The wilderness is a revealer of hearts. You saw the heart of the people. Slide number four, the last slide. The wilderness journey is a revealer of hearts. God's heart toward us and our heart towards God. Israel had already seen God do the impossible many, many times. And every situation that they faced, God worked together for their good, like he said he would. I want us to ask ourselves this question. God, do I really believe that what I'm going through right now, some good's going to come out of this? Do I really believe? And if we don't, we can cry out like the soldier did. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help the part of me that knows you could do it but still doesn't trust you. Help the part of me that has heard your word a million times and still has doubt. Help the part of me that has seen you move but still thinks that this might be too big for you because it feels too big for me. Help the part of me that wants to take control of the outcome and hinders your movement. Help the part of me that cannot see the light at the end of this very long, very dark, very cold tunnel. Help the part of me that isolates myself from community when I go through trials. Help the part of me that doesn't think you're going to do this for me. I saw you do it for this person and that person, but there's something in me that just doesn't believe you're going to do it for me. And it's not because you're not faithful, because you are. It's not because you're not merciful because you are. It's not because you're not good because I know you are. But help that part of me that just won't lean into your goodness. Help that part of me. And God is faithful and he's gracious and he's merciful. And he knows us. He created us. He knows what's going on in our heads and our hearts. And yet he still pursues and engages us. What they sing earlier, his goodness runs after us. Sometimes even when we're running from him, it runs after us. So today, I want us to make a declaration of faith. Is that okay? I want us to just say, Lord, I am going to trust you. And notice I said I'm going because there may still be a part of us, and that's okay. God understands. He knows. He hears. He sees, right? There may be a part of us that's still kind of and holding on, and I don't know, and I've been praying about this situation for a long time, and it doesn't seem to be moving. It doesn't seem to be getting better. Matter of fact, the more I pray about it, the worse it gets. So there might be a part of us that's still kind of withdrawing from leaning into God about that one particular thing. So even if you don't feel like the trust is fully there, you can make a declaration of faith that from this point I am going to intentionally learn to trust you. So say it again, Lord, 
I'm going to trust you. Lord, I'm going to trust you because he is going to work this out. I'm telling you from experience, I'm telling you from the truth of the word of God, nothing is too hard for him. It's not. It's hard for us. It's not too hard for him. And the joy you will see at the end of this journey, when the faithfulness of God shows up and pulls you out of the impossible and takes you into the land he promised you, is going to outweigh every tear you cried going through this journey and in this wilderness. Come on, let's stand to our feet.